Thanks, Mike. Well, good morning, folks. Now, I think Pastor John will be with us next Sunday, but for this Sunday, well, it's the B team. I'm not talking about the worship team, I mean the, the preaching, you know. The A team was the last two weeks with Tim and Unity. That was great. And this morning, well, we'll see where we go. Um, Pastor John is very, very keen to have questions to answer. So if you've thought, oh, well, what did he mean when he said that? Or, hang on, can he unpack that bit of teaching a bit more? Or, well, what about this? Or what about that? Why this? Can we believe that? What do we believe about that? What does the Bible say? Please submit them. The e- his email is in the bulletin. And he needs to receive your questions as soon as possible so that he can plan what to talk. If he doesn't get any questions, what are we going to do? What will he have to preach about? So we've got to provide him with some questions. Great opportunity to clarify things, perhaps to amplify things that he's been saying. Okay. So, there we are. Footprints in the sand. Walking in forgiveness. And we read that, we read those few verses from Isaiah, where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. In his vision, he's sort of taken up to the throne room of heaven. We can hardly imagine what it must have been like for Isaiah to be taken up there. And there are seraphims flying around. Ask Pastor John what a seraphim is. We haven't got a cherubim and seraphim. I haven't got time to explain it this morning. Anyway, I don't know. Um, (laughs) He'll know the answers. Um, they're flying around and they're singing holy, holy, holy. That was why we sang that song. Holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And what was Isaiah's reaction? I'm toast. I'm finished. How can I stand in the presence of the Lord and survive? I am full of sin. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I've had it. I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm toast. But then the seraphim takes the coal and touches his lips. Remember, this is not literal, this is a vision. So, you know, the coal touches his lips. Spiritually speaking, he is cleansed. Wow. He is cleansed, he is forgiven, his sin is atoned for. Now, there's nothing, remember, this is just a picture. There is nothing magic going on here. This is just a picture of how God deals with us. He touches us and we are cleansed. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And Isaiah, I was commenting to Carolyn this morning, you know, most of the people in the Bible, when God says, hey, Noah, well, not so much Noah, Moses, Job, Gideon, I got a job for you. What's the normal reaction? Uh Uh-uh. No way. You got the wrong guy. I'm off. Look at Isaiah. When he knows the depths to which he has been forgiven... It's as if there's a Trinity Godhead strategy meeting going on. They're saying, hmm, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's obviously outside the door with his, his ear glued to the door. Oh, I can hear that. What, what are they talking about? This is the Trinity planning their strategy. This is make-believe. And Isaiah, knowing the depth of forgiveness, says, I'll go. I'll go. You know, when we know the depth of God's forgiveness serving him becomes some such thing 
such uh, a privilege and a joy and a delight rather than a burden because we know the depth of where we have come from and where he has taken us to. And that's what I want us to, to look at a little bit this morning. Then we can serve knowing that we're forgiven. But being forgiven, forgiveness is a prerequisite for service. And so this morning we're going to look briefly at five aspects of forgiveness and then five errors to avoid to do with forgiveness. Okay. First aspect of forgiveness, the need for forgiveness. We needn't spend too much time on this because you're probably fairly au fait with this. We, need, we know we need to be forgiven, but that language is a bit stiff, isn't it? The wages of sin is death. I know it's only part of a verse, and it then goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. But let's focus on the bad news this morning to start with. The wages of sin, when we sin, we get death as our wages. That's what we deserve. And then, if we think we can escape, the other verse, no, for all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is left out, and the wages of sin, what that pays us, is death. Each of these five aspects is like a jig piece of a jigsaw fitting together the whole picture. So, but why is it so serious? Wouldn't some sort of lesser punishment or warning do? Couldn't God sort of just give us a little spiritual smack over the hand for sin? Why, why death? Well, go back to Isaiah for a moment. Whatever he knew, it seemed pretty serious to him because he thought he was going to die. I'm ruined. I'm finished. I cannot survive in the presence of a holy God. He knew that his sin, left to itself, would wipe him out. He knew he couldn't survive with God if his sin was still clinging to him. So there is a desperate need for forgiveness, and if you uh, have not come to a point of knowing God's forgiveness, you are in serious need of being forgiven. You need to be forgiven. You have sinned. We don't like that word sin. You've done wrong. There is a disease within all of us called sin. We, we get it when we're born. We can't avoid it, but we can get it dealt with through Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at again a bit more this morning. Okay, if that's the need for forgiveness, what about the means of forgiveness? Now, Hebrews there says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Hebrews is looking at all the, the animal sacrifices, how the temple system worked, and the priests, and the sacrifices, and the animals, and the offerings, and uh, the shedding of blood. And he, the writer says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the shedding of blood is saying death. That's what it's talking about. When the animal's blood was shed, that animal was dead. So what he is saying here is, without death, there is no forgiveness. Without a death occurring, there is no forgiveness. And by death, we don't just mean physical death, we mean spiritual death, separation. Spiritual death, separation from God. So the shedding of blood implies death. And so it's not just a question of working hard to improve and being warned or paying a fine or a transient punishment. Sin must be totally dealt with by death. It's final, it's total, it's separation. Death means hell. Separation from God because he 
is holy. Sin and death are inextricably woven together. This is all bad news. We'll get some good news soon. (laughs) So, if sin leads to death, what about the price of forgiveness? Well, familiar, familiar verses here. Jesus came as a sacrifice of atonement. He died on the cross, as we see, and it's recorded there in Romans. And in Matthew, when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he mistaken? Why did he cry that out? Why did he cry out like that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think of the words of the song that we just sang when we were, the offering was taken up. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. Did he? But this is God. This is Jesus. They are one. They have dwelt, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from eternity past in complete union and and love and unity, together, totally inseparable, of one heart and one mind, full of joy, peace, love. The Father turns his face away. Wow. I don't think Jesus was mistaken when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father turned his face away from his son. What on earth was going on in that Godhead? We cannot begin to imagine. But as you imagine Isaiah standing there in the throne room of God with all the glory and the greatness, and then this, Father turning away from his only son. Wow. There was separation, there was pain, there was loss within the Godhead. I don't understand that. I cannot wrap my head around it. But that seems to be what scripture tells us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father looks away. What a price. That's the price of our forgiveness. The Godhead, as it were, being blown apart, in one sense, by our sin. And Jesus bearing our sin. So how can God look on sin? He can't. So how can sin be dealt with? Through death. No other way. The death of Jesus. Father looks away. So within the Godhead at that point there was some disruption, pain, loss, anguish that neither you nor I can begin to grapple with or or hardly understand a little bit of it. But that's the price of your forgiveness and mine. It's a serious business. Okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. Now, Pastor John likes getting into the Greek because people like to get to the background. Now, I'm not going to be outdone. If he can do that. And it's, you don't have to be an expert. You, it's all on the internet. You know, you, 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 can, you can do this stuff without knowing a word of Greek or Hebrew. I don't know a little, I don't know a lot, and it's very rusty. But when Jesus died, 
We call that the atonement. The atonement. And the Greek word for that is katalage, atonement. And overall, that at the top there, it means reconciliation. Restoration to favor. You and I are reconciled. We are restored to favor with God. Because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus died. Because Jesus went through hell and came up again, the other side. Wow. And so the atonement means that we are reconciled. We are restored to a place of favor with God. And there's two halves of that. There's two parts of that. I know this is sort of technical, but the richness of truth, if you like biblical truth, I love these words because they, they illustrate so graphically um, what God has done, what Jesus has done for us. The expiation, the hilasterion word, which is part of atonement, makes amends or atoned for. And it implies, as it says, the removal or cleansing of sin. The removal or cleansing of sin. Jesus removed our sin. So expiation is about dealing with sin. Propitiation, hilasmos, is all to do with God's wrath being expressed and being satisfied. The averting of God's wrath. Now, when we think about people's wrath, we normally think of somebody... Blowing their top. Do you have this expression? You know, you sort of, oh, you go, or you go off on one. You really lose your temper and you really let them have it. And you walk away and then regret it, think, oh dear, I blew it there, didn't I? You lose your temper. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath is not an uncontrolled fit of rage. It's a righteous, just, holy, pure reaction to sin. So I don't think God loses his temper, but God cannot look at sin. And God's wrath has to be expressed because sin has occurred in you and me. God doesn't just think, oh, well, never mind, it doesn't matter. His wrath has got to be expressed. Either we feel it or Jesus feels it. And Jesus took the wrath of God and so he he propitiated, enabling God's wrath to be turned away from us and towards himself. And with that, Father is satisfied. Father is satisfied. Okay? So let's go on to our next aspect of forgiveness. The depth of forgiveness. I like this. Now, look at that verse in Psalm 103. So why not... Why did David... David wrote this psalm... What understanding had he got there? He said, as far as the east is from the west. Why didn't he say, as far as the north is from the south? Speculation. But I think it is because you can measure how far the north is from the south. If you get a compass and start walking north, you'll end up where? The North Pole. If you then turn around, point your compass south and start walking, where will you end up? The South Pole. Thank you. It's about 12,000 miles. Just an afternoon stroll. Okay, You can measure that distance. You can go from the North Pole to the South Pole. If I set my compass east and start walking east, where do I end up? I end up going round and round and round and round in circles. There is no east final point. There is no west final point. So this verse 
just is so glorious because it says you can't measure how far your sin is away from you. You cannot plot it. It's not 12,000 miles as it would be from north to south. It's gone. You can chase after it as long as you like. You won't find it. Wow. That's how far God separates our sin from us. That's the depth of what Jesus did for us. But then in Isaiah... Um, God says through Isaiah, I have not remembered your sin. So, what was it? What did he do yesterday? Um, Has God just forgotten? Has he got a bad memory? There's a difference between forget. I mean, you and I forget things. Well, I forget things anyway. I'm sure you do as well sometimes. It gets worse with age. Um, God hasn't got a bad memory. He does not remember. He doesn't just forget. He does not remember. That's a positive decision. I will not remember your sin anymore. It's not that, well, I'll forget about it, but in a couple of years' time I might suddenly remember and bring it back to mind. No. I will not remember it, full stop. That's the depth of forgiveness. Now, when I'm not messing around with classic cars or helping look after the grandchildren, one of the things I like to do is occasionally go cycling. I'm not a proper cyclist, so if you're a proper cyclist, that's not me. I'm just a leisure cyclist. <clears throat> and you may know there's a, a rail trail that goes from Monroe through Chester to Goshen. And they're going to extend it <clears throat> pardon me, to Middletown soon, so that'll be, come a bit nearer here. And um, I love cycling along once or twice a week, a bit of exercise. Um, and I came across the other week, there was a bit on the ground on the blacktop. Well, it's all blacktop. It's not gravel. It's nice and smooth. And there was a bit on the ground, a sort of a patch, which looked fresh and new. It hadn't been dug up, but there were several of these small areas. And I thought, oh, I know what's happened there. That's been some graffiti. But it's been sorted out. Now, imagine your sin is that graffiti. Your sin or my sin is that graffiti. When the county government came along and saw this graffiti, I've no idea what it said because I didn't see it, fortunately. I only saw when it had been dealt with. The county government could have done one of at least three things. It could have said, oh, well, never mind. We'll never beat it. We'll just just have to leave it there, I suppose. That's life in the 21st century. They could have ignored it. Or they could have come along with a can of paint and just washed it over, painted it over. But it's still underneath that paint. Or they could have come along, and this is what looks like they might have done, as far as I can see. They could have come along with a, a, a flame, a torch, a flamethrower. What do you call it? Sort of a big flame thing, hot. Heat gun or, or something like that. And actually burn it off so it's not there anymore. So you can ignore it, you can cover it up, or you can actually burn it off so it's gone. What has done, which option has God taken with your sin and mine? He certainly hasn't ignored it. He hasn't just painted it over so it's underneath there and when the paint cracks open it'll be there. He's actually came along, come along with this flame, this blowtorch, and burnt it off so there's nothing there. That's the depth of God's forgiveness for us. That's fantastic. Well, I think it's fantastic anyway. And the fifth aspect of forgiveness, our sin is actually gone, it's not just covered, is the flow of forgiveness. Ah. Isn't it nice to be forgiven? 
Fantastic. I need that, and we do. But what about forgiving others? Mm. Well, they don't deserve it. Mm. Do I? Mm. What about forgiving yourself? <sighs> Ooh. That's not always easy, is it? Because we, we get it wrong sometimes. We put our foot in it. If we are wanting God to forgive us, we need to extend that same forgiveness to others. There's nothing new, nothing we haven't heard before. But Jesus had some pretty stern words about that. And there they are. Now, we can interpret that how we like, but it looks pretty straight to me. It's pretty clear to me that if we are not prepared, if we hold on to unforgiveness, how can we expect God to forgive us if we do not offer that same forgiveness to others? And if we hold on to unforgiveness, it eats away at us. It doesn't do us any good anyway. The other person probably doesn't know how we feel about it, but for us, it doesn't do us a lot of good anyway. Walking in forgiveness is so important. And that's why the title of today's talk is Walking in Forgiveness, actually making this the the path of our life, forgiveness. Okay, so those are five aspects of forgiveness. Let's move on to five errors to avoid in forgiveness. This is the first one. You'll have to sort of bear with me a little bit here. I'm special. Okay? God will forgive me because I've done so much for his kingdom and the church. What on earth has that stupid picture got to do with that? Well, let's get the important thing down on down first. Very important. That is a Jaguar E-type. Series one. I don't think it's a flat floor, a flat floor. It's not quite that old. It's nineteen sixty-five triple wipers. You got all that. That's important. Okay. I know it's nineteen sixty-five because um, the, the registration number has got a C at the end of it. And in the UK, that's the UK, of course, um, they, they put letters after the number plate, the six num- the three letters and three numbers in the 60s, and C was 1965, okay? Who's that idiot leaning on it? That's me. It wasn't my car, Okay. Now, this was in the mid-60s, so I was probably sort of 16, 17, 18, and you can see my Beatles haircut. (laughs) Until the Beatles came along, it was all short back and sides, wasn't it? And then the Beatles came along, and these disgraceful haircuts came in with people with their hair right down over their foreheads, these men. Terrible. (laughs) Especially for Christians. Oh, worldly. (laughs) Well, there we are. There's my Beatles haircut. Shall I tell you whose car that was? I do not joke, that was Cliff Richard's car. That car belonged to Cliff Richard. And you can see some tents in the back. Cliff Richard is a Christian. Um, And there's some tents in the background. It was a boys' camp. It was a camp for boys that I was at. And he was there with a friend who was one of the leaders of it. And it was nice to be playing basketball on the beach with Cliff Richard. This was down in Cornwall. Not Cornwall over here. Cornwall, the county in the UK, southwest England. Um, it was a Christian camp. And he was there for a few days, just sort of mucking in and hanging out with us kids. Great stuff. So I thought, there's a nice photograph. Now, there's one thing about classic cars. When they come up for auction, what is so important is their provenance. By provenance, what I mean is this. This car belonged to Cliff Richard. Whoa. Or Elvis Presley. Or... 
president whoever or this famous person or it was appeared in this film or that film and cars with a provenance with the paperwork to go with it classic cars they attract an enormous value that far exceeds the actual value of the rusting tin that the thing's made of provenance now why am I saying all, talking all this rubbish that's got nothing to do with forgiveness if you think God will forgive you because of your spiritual provenance forget it you might have been in this church or a church you might have founded churches you might have been on the mission field you might have done this you might have given thousands of dollars away and if you think that will impress God and oh he's got to forgive me because of this uh uh-uh, uh you're on the wrong track okay yes you are special but we are all special and no God will not treat you any differently because you've done so much for his kingdom or for his 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 church don't stop doing stuff with his kingdom and church but don't think it gets you any special favor having a car with a fancy provenance puts a lot of value on it having a human being with a church provenance puts no value on on it as far as God is concerned so I put that up there just because it's a bit of fun and also to point out the difference that in this life we tend to value things because of where they've been or who shook your hand Cliff Richard's shaken this hand once or twice five dollars each afterwards Um, we put value on stuff and we think it's special because of where it's been or what's happened to it God only puts value on us, you and me, because he created us. He's not too impressed with what we do. He just loves us as we are, for who we are, not what we do or where we've been. So that's the thing I wanted to point out there. The first error. Don't think you'll have any favours with God because you're faithful to him. Second error, it's a bit like the opposite of that. God will never forgive me. I'm too bad. I'm only a worm. Who says? Who says? Was Jesus' death not enough for you? What makes you think you're so bad that the Son of God being consigned to hell can't deal with it? Who are you and I? that God would choose to forgive one and say another is too bad. Show me the scripture that supports that viewpoint. It's very easy to think that. It can creep into our thinking. And if it does creep into our thinking that we're too bad, that we cannot qualify for God's forgiveness, then that's going to rob us of joy and peace and life. Isaiah needed to know he was forgiven before he could serve effectively. So do you and I. So if you think you're too remember, too bad, remember what Paul said. You know, I'm the least, I, I'm the least of the brethren. I'm the worst of sinners. He spent his time trying to kill off Christians. Have you done that before you were a Christian? I doubt it. Was that too bad for God to forgive him? No. So what have you done that's so terrible that means God won't forgive you? God doesn't have special people favoured higher than others but he doesn't have the riffraff at the bottom that he won't touch either we are all able to know God's forgiveness that's the second error don't think you're too bad now the third one oh this is an easy one 
Oh, I'm really trying. God's got to forgive me. I'm trying so hard. There, there she is on her treadmill. She's got the, the, the donut or the bagel that she's sort of trying to get. And, uh, oh, God can see I'm trying hard. At least I'm trying. Surely he'll forgive me. It's not a question of how hard we try. And there, the, the scripture is there. No, it's not. I got it in my notes. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of yourself. I know we've heard this many times before. But sometimes it's good to be reminded that your forgiveness has nothing to do with what you have done. It is to do with what Jesus has done. And however hard you or I try, we could come along with a with, with, with that graffiti, with a scrubbing brush, or we could scrub away and scrub away and try and paint it over, it won't actually remove it. It needs to be blasted out of existence by God's blowtorch. And there's only one way that happens, through his grace and through us receiving that gift. Now the last two errors may not be so prevalent but just mention them in passing. God will only forgive me when I specifically confess each sin. Well, you see, when God deals with our sin, and when God dealt with Isaiah's sin, he didn't just have a list of sins that he ticked off, forgiven, 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 so tomorrow there'll be another list, and then when Isaiah comes to him, okay, I'll forgive those. He didn't deal with the symptoms, he dealt with the root cause. He didn't just deal with the symptoms, He dealt with the root cause. The things that we do that are wrong are symptoms of a disease. The disease is sin. It leads to death. That disease in you and me when we're in Christ is gone. The power of sin is broken. In other words, the sin that you and I were born into is not going to tie us to hell. We've been liberated to that. But we still sin. We still do things wrong. There are still symptoms. A bit like if you have chicken pox. You have chicken pox because you've got viruses. I think it's viral, isn't it? Buzzing around in your bloodstream and they produce the fever and these spots. Now you can rub out the spots as much as you like, but it won't deal with the disease. And once you deal with the disease, it will take time for the spots to heal. And so you and I are in the process of having the disease dealt with, but still dealing, still having the spots. But the spots are not the disease. They are symptoms of something, the power of which is gone. But they still linger. The symptoms still linger. But we are still forgiven. So it's not just a question of having to go to God and be forgiven and and not be forgiven until we confess it. It's still good to confess our sins to God. The Bible tells us that quite clearly. It is good to confess. It is good to express sorrow. But you are already forgiven. Remember with Isaiah, the coal touched him and the response was, your sin is taken away, your guilt is atoned for. It's done. It's done. And as far as you and I are concerned, when we're in Christ, it's done. The final error is very... probably unlikely to worry us but some people get worried about this that unless I take communion I may fall from grace who says so 
That's a misinterpretation of Scripture. It is good to take communion. It is good to remember the price that we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's good to remember the price that Jesus paid for us to take the bread and the wine. But it's not that I have to do that to be forgiven or stay in this state of grace. God forgives us anyway, and that is a misinterpretation of Scripture. We are not going to fall from grace. Now, I know sometimes I think, but was that verse that says... If we do this, or if we grieve the Holy Spirit, there's no sacrifice for sins, etc., etc., etc. If you and I are in a place of worrying about that, we haven't committed that sin. I see it as a total, complete, permanent turning away from God, and I cannot see someone who is truly born again doing that. Yes, things might upset our faith, they probably will, but there's not to the depth of total denial or who Jesus is within us. We may feel like that sometimes. So you and I are not going to fall from grace. God's grace is sufficient. So some conclusions as we draw to an end. Just sort of sum up. Okay? God has taken his blowtorch to our sin, to the disease. It's not there anymore. Because if the disease is there, you and I will die in terms of spiritual death, separation. It's gone. You are a new creation and we are free to walk in the truth. The difference between the power of sin and the effects of sin. Next conclusion. Briefly. Now, a <clears throat> bit of a mouthful, but just read that. I like that. wow there is the guy having the robe put on him okay we have that robe of righteousness we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ so let's know that grace enveloping us like that robe the grace of God and enabling us to stand before the throne of God and not think, wow, I'm finished, I'm toast, as Isaiah did initially. We can stand, we will stand before the throne of God as a saint, a child of God. We will be welcomed. There will be joy, there will be celebration. We have the righteousness of Christ. Just as he took our sin, he gives us his righteousness. And that enables us to stand in the throne room of God and survive and not just survive but to be welcomed into his kingdom that first song I'll fly away hey I'll fly away you know, we will I, I guess it was some sort of spiritual was it I don't know, I don't know but, but it, it illustrates the truth one day I'll fly away and I know where I'm flying to okay and there's not going to be any breakdowns in service because I'm going to get there I'm going to get there. Confidence because of Jesus. The confidence is in him, not us. And, wow, just live that. It's fantastic, isn't it? We can stand before God's throne as a saint. But let's remember the price. We talk about being special, about old cars. Well, that sounds pretty special to me. Because God regards each one of us as special. And in another sense, our provenance, when God looks at us and our history, our background, our provenance, 
just as the car with the fancy owner or the involvement in this film or that film. In the middle of our provenance, what God sees is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're mine. Wow, the value, you're mine. Welcome in. The cross is our provenance. It's our history, it's our present, it's our future. The power of the cross. So, a couple of final conclusions. Let's walk in forgiveness. Now, when I was doing the title, I nearly called the whole title, the whole talk, Walk in Forgiveness. But we have walk-in centres, a sort of instant this, walk-in medical this, walk-in get it done now, walk-in photos. No, that could give the wrong meaning. We're not just a quick instant gimme, gimme, gimme. It's walking in forgiveness. But let us walk in forgiveness. Let's walk in receiving God's forgiveness. Let's walk in being able to release ourselves from issues that we find it hard to forgive ourselves for. And let's walk in forgiveness to others. And in Matthew 18, they came to Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 70 times seven times. Now, if you're a mathematician, you know that 70 times seven is 490. So what is Jesus saying? Well, you can forgive people up to 490 times. Keep a note of it. When you get to 491, whoa, you can let them have it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Need to pray for you, brother. Um, That's not what Jesus is saying. Look, I don't care how many times they sin against you. You go on forgiving them. Seven, 70 times seven, 494,000... Would Jesus be able to say that if that was not the way in which God forgives us? That God goes on forgiving and we're in that state of grace and that sin is dealt with and it will never be reignited within us, the power of sin. If Jesus wants us to forgive infinite number of times, that is how he forgives us and that is how we must forgive others. So I think that's good news that you and I are forgiven. So as we draw to a close, let's just be reminded that forgiveness is a way of life and we can live it. Now, as we close, let's just pause to think on what we've heard this morning. Are you struggling to know you're really forgiven? Are you confident, like Isaiah was able to be, to say, I'm forgiven, I will serve you, out of gratitude. I know I'm forgiven. I don't deserve it, but I know I'm forgiven. Are you in that place? Are you struggling or are you confident that you've been able to forgive yourself for the stupid things you do? If God forgives you, we forgive ourselves. And perhaps the more difficult one, are we finding it easy to forgive other people? Now, some of us, have had things happen in our lives probably which other people have inflicted upon us which are pretty bad, to put it mildly. Are we able to forgive those other people? It's not easy, but the key to moving in that direction, I believe, is first of all to know the depth of which God has forgiven us.
And then even if we can't say, okay, I forgive you, um, it's an attitude of heart, it's a decision of the will, we can't turn a switch and suddenly, oh yes, I forgive him. All sweetness and light, it's not like that. But if you're struggling to forgive somebody else, at least go to God and say, God, I'm here, I want to be there. For goodness sake, help. Help me get in that direction of being able to let go. A statement of intent. And God can then say, okay, we'll work with that. It's the refusal to forgive that is rebellious in God's eyes and which is serious in God's eyes. The desire to be at that point, God can work with. So, there we are. Walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness is a way of life. Let's live it. If you're struggling in any way with forgiveness, either God's forgiveness of you or forgiving yourself or forgiving somebody else, have a word with somebody and pray with them. That can be a help. It says in the Bible, confess your sins with one another um, so that you may be healed. There's a powerful healing effect, a restoring effect. The ground of it is knowing what Jesus has done for you. The expiation stuff, the propitiation stuff, the atonement stuff. doesn't have to be in fancy language, but knowing the depth of God's forgiveness. Let's pray together. Thank you that you are a forgiving God. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to this earth and die for each one of us. You were willing to have Father's wrath expressed upon yourself. You took our sin. You became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We can hardly understand what that means, but we receive it. Lord, this morning we want to thank you that you've enabled us to walk into your presence and to be welcomed as forgiven saints. We have no righteousness of our own. Forgive us if we thought that because we've been very busy in the church and in your kingdom that you would look more favorably upon us. Forgive us for that. Help us each one to know your grace and know how you see us. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been tempted to give in to the, the lie that we're too bad to be forgiven, that you don't really love us. It's all right for everybody else, but not for me. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to walk in the truth, to put our feet firmly on the truth which is in your word. Thank you that that truth is liberating. Thank you that you don't just ignore our sin, you don't just cover it up, but you deal with it. It's not there anymore. Thank you that you've dealt with the disease. Help us this week, Lord, to walk in forgiveness, receiving, knowing forgiveness, passing it on to others, and forgiving ourselves. Lord, if we need help with this, we just ask that you will provide people to come alongside. So now, Lord, we pray for the rest of this day, this weekend. Pray that we will each have a good week. We pray for Pastor, pray again for Pastor John and Cherie that you'll bless them, bring them back safely and, and full of the life of the Spirit to, as Pastor John leads and preaches and cares for us. We pray that you will just bless him and Cherie. And may each of us know your blessing this week. Whatever we're doing, wherever we are, Lord, we just thank you that we go with you and you go with us. May we know that cloak of righteousness surrounding us, enveloping us, enabling us to stand before you. So now, Lord, be with each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
And now I think Pastor John will say, you are dismissed. <laughs>